make a change in, in your direction or your business or even your product to fill this gap, to fill this void, uh, it's so hard. I mean, I know that there are plenty of people that are, that are stuck with a certain kind of business and there's no changing that. But if you can do merch, if you can, I mean, my example is that <clears throat> I was supposed to be doing a, a big speech and skate event in Salt Lake City that got canceled, obviously. And they were begging me, like, can you do something that we can put online? And so I did a whole 20-minute speech about the origins of the Ollie and demonstrated each part of that and how it came to be and how it evolved. And it was all one take in about 20 minutes. And they added that into their their live stream that they did with other, uh, they had bands as well and stuff like that. And I mean, that's a really small example, but it was something that I had to come up with on the fly because obviously I still wanted the job too. Welcome to the final episode of 2021 of the Anonymous Third Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chura, and know your ears do not deceive you. That was the original greatest of all time skateboarder, Tony Hawk. Believe it or not, Tony was my first interview ever on the Anonymous Third Podcast. This was December 2020, and I couldn't believe I was going to be interviewing an absolute legend and a personal hero of mine. I mean, I had the Thrasher magazine with Tony Hawk on the cover, his posters all over my wall. I watched Gleaming the Cube at least two dozen times and was an avid skateboarder myself. I even dressed the part of the long hair, the skateboard hat, trying to look like Tony Hawk when I was a kid. So given this incredible opportunity to interview this legend, what do I do? I make the cardinal sin of podcasting. I forgot to press record. Talk about a horrifying moment. I didn't even let Tony know I had an internal meltdown. I was embarrassed over this novice mistake and I just hit record mid-conversation and just kept it going. I honestly wasn't even going to post the podcast because I was going to keep this moment to myself. But screw it, that's not how I want to remember that moment. And that wouldn't be authentic to growing and my podcast journey that I've been sharing with you. So what you'll be hearing is my half interview with Tony Hawk. But first, I want to thank you for generally coming along this podcast adventure with me. I'm incredibly humbled and inspired to see the Knot Almost Their community form and all of your feedback. We're setting some goals together, motivating each other, and achieving incredible feats along the way. Now, the two biggest lessons from this past year I feel like I learned that I'd love to pass on. One, start a podcast. You may think you missed the bubble. This may sound crazy, but you didn't. I hear all the time this is a saturated space, and it is. But over the 2.5 million podcasts that are considered live right now on Apple, only 23% are active. Having your own podcast also makes you a better communicator, allowing you to really listen to conversations. It forces you to get out of your head and really be present with the person in front of you. And it's something I had to learn for sure throughout this year. I would constantly have to tell myself not to focus so much on the next question, but instead on the conversation that is currently taking place. And as the year progressed, I didn't have to remind myself and it would just happen naturally, but it took time. It also teaches you to create a system and to be consistent. One episode a week is way tougher than I thought it would be. That said, if you aren't into this challenge, have deeper conversations. What does that mean? Try your hardest not to interrupt the other person, even with your thoughts. It's okay to take a breath and to think about what you want to say. My next lesson is for you to overcome your fear of scrutiny. I know despite my strengths, I had a fear of putting something in the world that I would get critiqued on, and I did. 
I read every comment on YouTube and I would take in every criticism from family and friends, especially my wife. Hey, honey, thank you. Um, let me tell you, there were some days I would just stew on this criticism and it would make me question if I should even be doing this. But from it, I was able to grow and get better and every episode I felt more comfortable and I started focused less on feeling insecure and more on the content that I was putting out as a catalyst to bring the knowledge from the people I was interviewing to you, the listeners. That turned into my goal versus me focusing on myself. So as we approach this new year, I'm going to be challenging myself to get even more uncomfortable. That's why I'm sharing this episode with you now, because I can't ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. And to set this up, Tony and I already welcomed you guys to the Anonymous Third Podcast. We had about 20 minutes of conversation that you're not going to hear because it's not recorded, and you're jumping right in after I press the record button as we're talking about kickflips. So here we go. That trick was the hardest trick for me to learn <laughs> by far. I mean, it was like thousands of times, like you said. I remember exactly where I landed for the first time. And I was just, it was just like I, I ran or won some kind of long endurance race. And it was just incredible. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think that the, the sense of gratification you can get from learning a skate trick because of all the attempts and hours you put in is like nothing else. And, I think maybe even to a to a fault, I've been chasing that feeling for so long that I don't know what I'm going to do and I won't get it. Yeah. So kind of going back to everything you've you've overcame in your life and the history of where you were from a, kind of a skateboarder in high school to riding the wave in, in the, the 90s, like what what kept you in skateboarding for so long when your peers, like some of your peers obviously just took completely different paths, like especially in the early nineties when skateboarding become, became less popular. Uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to stay in it no matter what. And, and if, it, if it wasn't going to be through my own skating, I wanted to start a company and maybe foster a team and an aesthetic and a direction as a brand because I just loved it so much. Like I loved what it provided to me as a kid. I loved that I, I it became my identity. And so I couldn't let it go, even if I had to find a real job. And so I created a real job, which was do, running a skateboard brand. Um, and it was hard, but, it, but, it, but I loved it because even in the, in the most challenging times, it was, it was our team. And it was like, there were six of us in a van and we were driving across the US and we were skating for a dozen people or so, but we were able to skate and we were able to get gas and get food and share a hotel room and go to the next stop. And that that's all we needed because we loved it so much. I remember that the advent of like punk during that time too, and they seemed to go like so well together as, you know, being a young skateboarder. I remember even in my peers in grade school, I was kind of an outsider and I was skateboarding and then I would go to like punk rock shows at night and do you think those two had this like this commonality back then because it was kind of the the outcast or or you know what do you think caused that? Oh, for sure. I think it was it was that people felt disenfranchised. Um, skating spoke to a rebellious spirit because to be a skater in those days there were no parks, 
So you had to go hop fences, go, go to school grounds, go skate the plazas, go get chased by cops. That's what you had to do. It wasn't like you were looking for that trouble, but that's what came with it. And the same with punk. It was like, just do it yourself. Make, you know, you don't have to be journey or foreigner or whatever it is. Like, just go make your own sound and, and sing about what is affecting you. And that spoke to the skate community more than anything because it was energetic and it was, it was passionate and, and it spoke about being outcasts. Yeah, no, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. When you think about kind of where skateboarding is now when, and where it's been, you look at like the Ollie as the, the fundamental kind of trick that kind of everyone knows, right? That's a household right. trick. And then, you know, I heard you say that how you, you needed to name your tricks because people would see them and they're like, oh, that's cool. What's that called? And you're like, that's called the method or you know, various other names that, that came to you. Um, what was the process of developing a trick and what do you see that's going on now as far as innovation within skateboarding? Well, my experience of developing tricks was more, a lot of things were happy accidents. So if I was trying a trick that already existed and my board went flying a different direction or I caught it a different way, that would be me thinking, oh, that could be something new. Or if I would combine two tricks, like one is the Caballero, which is a 360 Ollie, and then figure out how to spin the board doing that and do a cab big spin or cab varial. And so in, in those ways, it was more like, how do we combine these existing tricks? And, and that's really what was driving me, especially through the eighties. Nowadays, new tricks are insanely complicated. You know, almost impossible to explain to layman terms or, or to anyone that doesn't skate but they're still happening and it's incredible. I mean, I, I've seen, like I saw a, a, a guy do a grind to a nollie kickflip to a late shove it recently, where if you had said that even five years ago, I'd be like, that's not possible. And that's what's happening now. Are you surprised that the skateboarding is, is an Olympic sport now? Does that like blow your mind? Um, it does. It, yes and no. I feel like I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn because I feel like we never needed the Olympics for validation. We always had our big events and we've proven that skateboarding can be more popular than a lot of Olympic sports. So in that sense, the Olympics isn't doing us any favors by including us in the games. If anything, they need our validation. They need our cool factor more than we need to be accepted in that in mainstream. But at the same time, I think it's a great opportunity for skateboarding to be seen by a bigger audience, by a more uh, international audience. And it's a great opportunity for kids who have found skateboarding in countries that maybe don't support it, that maybe this will be the shift and, and that they will have skate parks in their, in their countries. Now, I think that's probably the silver lining to all of it. And like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it or, or bash IOC, like I think it's going to be a great opportunity. But 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 the idea that that they're doing us a favor is just not the case. And do you see a lot of the the kids now across the world? Are they gathering into groups online? Or I mean, it must be incredible because at the time, you know, I knew just my peers around my Chicagoland area where I grew up and skateboarded <clears throat> with them. You're in California, obviously, and that that you know lot more advanced because they even the pools i remember trying to find a pool this is hilarious in the chicagoland area 
And I realized like there just weren't bowls. You know, I, I didn't see like empty pools ever. So when right. I saw empty pool, I went to skateboard and I'm like, where, where the hell are these, these bowls at? Cause the yeah. pools were designed completely different, you know, but, but now it's, it's gotta be incredible to have a community that, that you could touch base with instantly via either social media or whatever and learn from too. Like, do you see that happening a lot? I mean, obviously through your games, people are learning tricks and they're, they are innovating, but what about the social media side of it too? Uh, like I said, I think the social media has totally leveled the playing field in that anyone can make a difference or, or get recognized from anywhere as long as you are doing something unique. And if you go viral, then all the better. But um, that has accelerated the, the trick selection, the progression, the evolution because now if something new happens, it used to be if something new happens, you'd see it in the magazine months later or in a video almost a year later. And now you're seeing it in real time. So it, I also know like in, in learning those, those tricks or doing like your 900 and the, the tricks you're now known for, what people see on the surface is you trying them at, at, at an event maybe a few times, but it's, they took thousands and thousands of hours of practice to, to develop that. Can you walk me through like your habits of, or just walk me through a day? Like, like what's a day look like when, and maybe it's different today, obviously, but when you were, when you started and you really, I know the 900 took 10 years, but when you started to focus on a trick or when you woke up in the morning, like, did you do anything else but grab a skateboard? Was there any other habits in your life? Uh, well, it depends on which stage of my life, but <laughs> I would say definitely through my teen years, as soon as school got out, I was at the skate park. So much so that I learned which bus route from school went closest to the skate park. So I went on the bus that was going to a different neighborhood than mine because it was it was within a skating distance to the skate park. And I was there until my dad got off work or later or until they closed. And so much of my childhood was just spent at the skate park. Um, into my later years, as I had children, I had to figure out how to, how to navigate my time and prioritize it and find windows of time to go skate. And that's used, that's where I'm at now. Um, which is fine. And, and I, in some ways, because that's such it's, a, it's such a concentrated time, I have to be more creative in that time. <clears throat> Sorry. So I feel like I have this short window. I got to get something done and that adds more pressure and actually makes it better for me. And I recently saw a video where you, you taught your daughter. She finally dropped in. I shouldn't say finally, cause I've never dropped in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. incredible to even say that. But, but how, how is like, like that to me is so mind blowing. It had to be like a crazy moment for you. So a few things to kind of explore that moment for a second, like did it, did it take like what finally made it click where she just did it? Like, and how did that make you feel as a father in that moment? Um, well, it, it was, it was more that I was trying to instill that she was capable of it. And that was the hardest thing. I think for, for, from my perspective, that was the hardest thing for her to overcome is that she really believed that she could do it. And I had to get her past that because she had all the, she had all the pieces to make it happen. She'd been up that ramp. She'd almost gotten to the top of it. She knows how to go down it. She could drop into smaller things. And it was more like you have all the elements there. You've just got to put it together. And I know you can do it. 
but at the same time there's a there's a fine line of being pushy or or being passive and so i had to find her i had to find that balance and and to really push her without pushing her and that's probably the hardest thing of being a parent is is letting your kids become themselves without meddling in their affairs mm. and so uh, when she finally did it, you know, I, I, and I, I, I shared it, obviously I shared it on um, social media and it went, made the rounds, but, but I shared it more in real time just so people could get a sense of, of that process and what it takes and, and for her to just sit there and ponder it. And, you know, I would encourage a little bit, but it wasn't like, I was like, come on, just do it. Yeah. And so to watch her really process that and do it, I, I think that's what people took away from it. And um, I was really proud of her. And she, you know, she overcame it. And then, then after that, she would just ran back up, did it again, did it again. She's like, it's easy. You know, and it's like, just forgot all about how frightened to death she was five minutes earlier. Was there a big celebration that night? <laughs> um, I took her, let's see, what did we do? Oh, I took her to her favorite place at the time, which was Panera. So she could get chicken noodle soup. Oh, great. That's awesome. Um, so what's, what is, uh, what's next for you? Um, I never have much of a, I don't have some big goal or, or agenda. I, I kind of take it as it comes. Um, you know, obviously in these strangest of times trying to figure out how to make a living, but, um, I really want to help to, uh, grow my skate brand birdhouse because we have a really solid team. Um, and skateboarding has been growing in leaps and bounds, surprisingly, in, uh, during COVID. I mean, you, you would not believe how many people have started skating in, in these times because they're stuck in one place. Um, and so that's been a really strange boost for skateboarding. Um, so I want to I want to help to grow and, and help to support the team that has believed in this brand for so long. Um, and uh, the Skate Park Project, which is my foundation for public skate parks, uh, we have been going almost 20 years now and helped to develop over almost over a thousand skate parks in the U.S. And there's still a lot of work to be done because plenty of communities don't have parks and they have a population of skateboarders that need a place to go. How many, uh, how big is Birdhouse right now in terms of employees? <laughs> uh, there are three official employees of Birdhouse. Oh, okay. Uh, me and Derek in production and our team manager, Adam Mills. Oh, got it. Cool. <laughs> so we are very streamlined, um, but we have uh, 10 team riders and they're all awesome. And they're all, it's such an eclectic mix, um, including Lizzie Armanto, who I'm hugely proud of. Do you still stay in touch with your early partners in the business that, that first invested? Oh, with you and partner. Um, well, with you? no, it was just uh, it was Per Wheelander who was a pro skater. Yeah. at the time, uh, I, I I talked to him once in a while, but not that much. We we parted ways. Um, I bought him out of Birdhouse, and then I gave him our distribution company. Got it. Uh, well, I, I you know gave him my share of the distribution company and, and bought Birdhouse from him, and because he wanted to focus on other um, other brands and other products, and I wanted to stay with Birdhouse. Have you? I remember you telling the story about the um, how you got into video games for the first time, and and how you were, you were had traveled around with a with a PC programmer trying to shop the yeah. the game, and then 
when Activision finally, you know, Activision contacted you serendipitously around the same exact time. Did that programmer ever, ever contact you again after that? I was just uh, curious. He about. did not. No, the, the, enough time had passed. It didn't just all happen at once. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a, a, about a year of a, of a pause in there, so um, it, it didn't really have much to do with him. And it was more. It was because I went to those meetings with him that I even had the idea. Yeah. That he, they even knew I was interested in doing yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And going to something fun that I'm super curious about, you've been on like a ton of fun. It seems to be fun, like insane kind of movie sets. <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there an experience or two that stick out for you that were just, that were either the most fun or the, the craziest anything happened on set that um, you can recall? <laughs> That's a good question. I think that most recently, the most fun, but also the the sort of strangest experience was doing um, Daddy's Home with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, because I was Will Ferrell's stunt double. I mean, they made me an offer of that wasn't much more than being a stunt double, but it just sounded so awesome I couldn't pass it up. Um, and so we went. To, we were shooting it near Atlanta, and they. If anyone's seen the movie, they they build a backyard ramp, and Mark Wahlberg is you know he's he's the king, and and so Will Ferrell decides that he used to skateboard, and he goes and grabs his dusty skateboard out of the closet, and then rides off the roof, and so I had to do his stunts, but they needed me to sl- they needed me to fall, and so I took a fall, and I misjudged where I was, so not only did I take the fall, I bounced off the coping on my leg and split it wide open. And immediately my pants were filling up with blood. And it was like, I, I, what can I say? I played the part. I was keeping it real. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and so immediately it, it was, it was immediate that of the movie production of, of all the people behind the scenes. It was like, Oh shit, this is bad. <laughs> like his, his pants are stained with blood now. And then they, they, uh, they had to cut my pants off. And there was this wide gash uh, from hitting so hard on my thigh. And uh, they got the shot. Was that the first time you met Will Ferrell? Or yeah. had you known him before? Uh, yeah, first time I met him, yeah. And, and um, he, used to, he used to skate a little bit. So he, he had some funny tidbits that he used in the movie yeah. where he's trying to call out Mark Wahlberg. And he's like, we used to skate at Reseda and Skater Cross <laughs> and Pipeline. And I was like, how does he know all those places? <laughs> that's awesome. What about the guys at, at Jackass? I know you hang out with them. Oh, uh, well, okay. that's always, I mean, that that's always entertaining and frightening to be with them. Yeah. Um, and the thing, the thing about a Jackass set is that you have to, <laughs> there's two things. If you have a drink, you always have to keep it covered with your hand or you have to be covering your crotch. <laughs> So you can't do both at once. So if you're holding a drink and you're covering it with your hand, then someone's going to hit you in the crotch. <laughs> That's hilarious. So my my aunt, I remember when I was a kid, took me to see Gleaming the Cube, and you were <laughs> oh, yeah. you were a Pizza Hut delivery driver driving me that that pickup. Was there anything you remember from that experience? Um. Well, first it was I was straight out of high school onto that set. So I was out of high school and suddenly I'm in a Hollywood production, in a movie, living in LA. Uh, and it was just wild. Like I didn't, I never imagined that I would get to do something like that. Um, and then they, 
I think that what I what I was most appreciative of is that there were things that we got to do because we we're doing a movie that were just lawless. I mean, we got to skate a backyard pool up in the Hollywood Hills because they paid for the location and drained some guys back a pool for us to skate. Like, you know, coming from, from where we came from and the, the amount of trouble we got in for sneaking into backyards, escape pools. And then here we are being celebrated for it yeah. and paid to do. It was insane. I remember that bunker being so envious. You remember the bunker in that movie where it was oh, like, yeah, 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 the little, yeah. Yeah, the little half pipe yeah. there. And it was, yeah, it was, uh, that was incredible. You know, what was fun about that is that we, me and Tommy Guerrero, we taught Christian Slater how to skate. And so before the production, we would just spend days with him skating through schoolyards and stuff. And to his credit, he really took it upon himself to learn and took the hits and and I've been on a lot of other movie sets where that is not the case. They need an actor to look comfortable on a skateboard. They are not <laughs> very um, agreeable to it. Yeah, that was a that was a great movie back in the day. There. Um, so, kind of wrapping this up a little bit, I I did want to talk about kind of the current moment of COVID and any advice that you have for people or even small businesses that are that are listening to this i know everyone everyone's going through a tough time we mentioned a few times in this conversation is anything that you found to be inspirational or um any sort of uh you know any sort of knowledge drop things that are working for Um, you i think it just be willing to make a change in in your direction or your business or even your product to fill this gap or to fill this void. Uh, it's so hard. I mean, I know that, that there are plenty of people that are, that are stuck with a certain kind of business and there's no changing that. But if you can do merch, if you can, I mean, my example is that <clears throat> I was supposed to be doing a, a big speech and skate event in Salt Lake City that got canceled, obviously. And they were begging me, like, can you do something that we can put online? And so I did a whole 20 minute speech about the origins of the Ollie and demonstrated each part of that and how it came to be and how it evolved. And it was all one take in about 20 minutes. And they added that into their, their live stream that they did with other, uh, they had bands as well and stuff like that. And I mean, that's a really small example, but it was something that I had to come up with on the fly because obviously I still wanted the job to learn that technique and to learn those skills. And now we're better for it. And I don't want to say that anyone's going to be better for all of this crazy time, but you know, we have learned a lot because of it. And um, it's just been so long. You can't say like, Oh, embrace the time and, you know, appreciate you're with your family. Like we're, we're through that. Let's get back to work. I remember the first two months. That's exactly what I said. I'm like, let's yeah. take advantage of it. This is going to fly past us. This is amazing. And you're right. I mean, we're sitting here. It'll be a year later. It's going to be a year. Yeah. yeah. So you know, now it's it's more like, how do we keep our livelihoods? And I know that it's not easy for so many. And so I feel like embrace new challenges, learn new skills, really. And and I'm not saying like this is the opportunity. I'm just saying just do it out of necessity. Yeah, definitely. Do you, do you still hang out with any of the 80s uh, skateboarders that you were curious with back then? Sure, I was still hang out with the Bones Brigade. Steve Caballero and oh, Mike no McGill way. live in my town. 
Um, I see Lance once in a while. I see Tommy Guerrero sometimes. I hang out with Rodney, although Rodney's more of a, he's like an elusive um, Bigfoot. That the documentary that just came out six months ago is pretty amazing on on the Bones Brigade. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was really that was neat. I didn't yeah. I didn't realize the advertising back then. I I always like admired the advertising for like Paul Peralta and the Bones, but I didn't realize that they said you know the kind of methodology back then was don't have a skateboard in in, in any of the oh, ads. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was hilarious, ingenious at the same time, and it was it was really fun to watch kind of those cast of characters. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, it like brought me back to being a kid. <laughs> God, it was, it was amazing. But uh, hey, yeah. I mean, I've been through a lot. Like I, we're, we're brothers for life for sure. Well, Hey, thanks. So thanks so much, Tony, for spending the time here. Like I said, sure. you're someone that I've looked up to my whole entire life and it's incredible to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thank you so much, Tony, for being my first guest on the anonymous third podcast. I cannot believe that I can say Tony Hawk was my first guest. Your closing thoughts definitely strike a chord, making a change, filling the void. I know you mentioned business, but this can be any aspect of your life. Take this time to reflect on what's missing because we are two years plus into this COVID shit show that we thought was going to last a few months. And we all have grown and made some crazy changes. Our lives have changed forever. So let's take these lessons of this uncomfortability and how much we've grown and let's expand on that get uncomfortable in 2022 and let's challenge each other tag me at anonymous there at joe chura and let's hold each other accountable again because remember remember you me we are not almost there thank you so much for listening and have a great end to 2021 and i cannot wait to see you in 2022